0: Hello, welcome to In The Pink, the podcast with me, Natalie Pinkham My next guest is a really interesting guy In fact, he's both interesting and interested And that's part of the reason he's done so well in life His name is Alejandro Agad. Now, you might not know that name instantly, but if I tell you that he is the guy behind Formula E, I'm sure you'll want to hear more. I first met him back in the F1 paddock about eight years ago when he used to run a GP2 team. And now, as I say, he heads up Formula E, the electric car racing revolution that he co-created with none other than Mr. Jean Todd. Now, he talks to me very candidly about the future of F1, what he believes it to be, and where electric cars fit into that. Plus, he tells me all about a new extreme series he's about to launch. He has a background in politics, the youngest MEP in history, the age of just 28. But don't worry, unlike most politicians, he gives me straight answers. Very direct, in fact, I think you'll find this guy Very interesting indeed. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr Alejandro Agán. So here we are in your rather plush offices here in Hammersmith, uh, July 2019. And when we look back and consider where Formula E has come, I I guess it's actually quite symbolic when you walk around these ever-expanding offices. It just shows how well Formula E is doing. Has the success of the series surprised you? Has it come sooner than you expected? What are your feelings?
1: Yeah, well, the offices were definitely not this plush when we started. We were, they were probably the size of the kitchen that we have here now. Um, I guess that's a good sign, but it has definitely surprised us, yes. And we are far, far, far beyond our best expectations. Um, When we started, we really didn't know what to expect. Um, And obviously, many, many people, there was a big consensus that this wouldn't work. And that formula was going to be, you know, how to have a short life. Um, and, you know, we were, of course, worried about that. When when everybody tells you, oh, no, no, this is the wrong idea and so on and so on, we were like, oops, maybe they're right. But, you know, luckily we decided to give it a try and we thought we were right. And, um, yeah, we were maybe lucky or also the times really changed in our favor, the whole kind of environment around us changed in our favor and we probably were in the right place at the right time. So, yeah, it's a question where luck played a big role, obviously, and timing, which is obviously very important. And then, we got kind of this momentum and then the thing started growing and growing and growing and now, yeah, and now we still keep growing a lot. I mean, uh, we have uh, the last race of season five in one week in New York and, I mean, the number of meetings of companies and potential Teams. I mean, we cannot have more teams because we're full now. But a uh, number of people want to get involved in one way or the other. is It's huge. I mean, it's it's just difficult to find space to, for all these for all these meetings. So yeah, I guess it's a, it's a good sign. We, you know, touch wood.
0: So when you say we, are we talking you and Jean todd How did it start? Was it your brainchild or his? I hear a little story about a Parisian dinner.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was probably. Both. I mean, he, he came out well, But it's
0: never both. It's one person. Like some, someone took the idea to somebody else.
1: So he um, asked me to have dinner with this other guy. Okay. Who um, was a former... I used to be in politics many, many years ago. So when I was in politics, I was sitting next to this... In parliament, we were sitting next to each other. I was sitting next to this Italian uh, politician. Uh, his name is Antonio Taggiani. And this guy was at the time when Jean-Todd got elected president of the FIA. He was the commissioner for industry of the European Commission. And within industry, within his portfolio, he had the, the motor industry, the car industry. So Jean said, you know Antonio? I said, yeah, I know him very well. Oh, it'd be interesting to meet with him just to have a chat. And I said, well, I will set up a dinner in Paris. So I spoke to Antonio and he said, yeah, cool. I'd love to meet Jean-Todd. Um, let's have dinner. So the three of us had dinner in this small restaurant in Paris in Estresa. and uh, we started just talking in general about where the industry was going and what was Antonio's opinion and so on. And Antonio kept saying electric, 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 and all these new rules are going to be, you know, implemented about lowering CO2 emissions, and the industry is really going to have to go electric. is very important. And Jean said the FIA should have an electric car championship, and then I said, yeah. And I would want to do it. I, I, I'd like to be the promoter of that. So if we have to give the credit to someone to have the idea, it would be Jean because he's the first one who said we should have an electrical championship. Um, then a few months went by and and uh, FIA did a tender and I came up with a project. And I think the the key for us to get the... to And then we were a group. I had an investor with me and so on. But the key for us to get the license from the FIA was that we proposed a real... Uh, Racing product that could be feasible and I think no one else really of the other bidders was coming from the racing world and they didn't really know they were saying we would like to to create an electrical championship but they didn't know how to do it we knew how to do it Mm -hmm. we thought we knew how to do it then it was very difficult to do it but we at least we knew where to get chassis from where to get batteries from where to how to organize the races and so we could get also a lot of talent from, you know, because we were coming from the world of motor racing mm-hmm. and, you know, I was in GP2 and doing a lot of stuff with Formula One in the sponsorship and television and so on. We knew. So so FIA at the end gave us the gave us the
0: contract. And why were you personally so excited by this? Was it because you were anticipating the revolution in electric cars? You, you, you wanted to be part of this huge process, which, were, you know... None of us could have anticipated how big, I guess, but did you, you did you have the foresight at that stage?
1: Um, what I did see was that we were in trouble in Formula 1. So my world of my business was in Formula 1, around Formula 1. I didn't own a Formula 1 team, but I was doing a lot of business with sponsors around Formula 1. Uh, I did business with um, television rights in Formula 1, and I did also business with... I had my own team in GP2 that was bringing drivers to Formula 1. So my main source of income was around Formula 1. And I started to see that if Formula One didn't become green, it would, it would be in trouble in the future because the world is going in one direction and you're going in a different direction. And that never works. You have to be in the same direction where things are going. And even better if you, if you get yourself ahead of where things are going. And I saw about 10 years ago that the whole world was going to become a lot more concerned about the environment because the problem is becoming bigger and bigger and people are actually being more and more aware So I thought we should create a green Formula One. That is, or at least we should make Formula One green, or if we cannot, and sadly it's really difficult to change things quickly in Formula One, we have to create a new one. And that's where the big opportunity for the business is going to be. I mean, I would love to say I did this because I am a uh, to-the-core environmentalist, but I am an environmentalist, but I didn't do it for that. I did it because I thought it was the best way to position a business for the future. Mm. And uh, yeah, it kind of happened. So, yeah.
0: And, and was it ever considered a possibility where it could be a support series for Formula One? I mean, why don't we do this on the same weekend or at least a week before? Like some sort of. Hmm.
1: You know, when this was born, Bernie was at Formula One. And um, probably that was the luck for me because Bernie didn't, you know. He didn't really think that this was a um, strong enough uh, option. Um, I remember he called it milk float uh, competition at the time. Without any... I, I, Bernie, I, I have greatest admiration, and we are friends for 20 years. But, you know, he just didn't believe in this. So we could create something separate. And I think it makes sense to keep it separate for for a while and make it grow. And, and uh, Because we would not be able to grow if we were a support racer of Formula 1. Formula 1 would always be kind of like controlling us and... Having said that, I think in the future there could be space for cooperation, but more on—I'm not going to say on an equal level—but you know, more on a way that we will, I don't know, make a kind of plan of our, our, our architecture for the whole future of the sport. Mm. Because I think Formula One is going to go electric eventually; has to go electric. Mm. Um, the only question is when. And we have this license with the FIA. I mean, it would be much better if we kind of build the whole architecture together. Having said that, again, uh, we have different shareholders, different owners, and they have different agendas. So,
0: yeah, the same parent company there, don't
1: you? Yeah, we have, but the the, the same person, actually, not even a parent company, but the same person on top is Joe Malone. is a shareholder of all my shareholders, um, and also the shareholder of the Formula One shareholder. But but uh, that doesn't mean he. Um, directs the companies below. They are independent, they're listed independently, they are actually supposed to act completely independently and for the best interest of their shareholders, which, has, which are many, many thousands of shareholders because they're public companies. So they act independently and um, yeah, and for the moment the, the guideline or the direction that we have is to just be independent. Yeah. Not to compete or not compete, because I don't think Formula is a competition to Formula One, but uh, to, be, to go on our separate ways.
0: So what is Formula E? Because it feels like um, an opportunity for manufacturers to showcase their technology, develop that technology, move around the world, be part of this revolution. W- would that be fair? And is racing almost, I mean, not, not a sideshow, but is, it, it, it's a bonus, perhaps, rather than the core of the business?
1: So I would put it probably the other way, but but racing... It's only one part of what Formula E is. And um, probably in Formula One, racing is a lot more of what Formula One is. Mm. But racing is not what, not all what Formula One is. Formula One is other things. Formula One is the glamour and the show business and uh, the you know, uh, kind of dream and many other things. And the racing. Mm. But the racing maybe is 80% of Formula mm. 1.
0: is at the core.
1: Racing is... Well, racing is at the core we of Formula E also. Mm, okay. Uh, but racing is maybe 80 or 90% of Formula 1. Mm-hmm. Racing is maybe 60% of Formula E. Mm-hmm. It's still a lot. If there was no race, there would be no Formula E. Mm. But the marketing value of Formula E proportionally is bigger. So marketing value is probably 40% of Formula E. The marketing value of Formula 1... It's very big, but smaller compared to the importance of the race. Um, so many of the manufacturers now need the marketing value. And I get a lot of them coming and saying, mm-hmm. keep focusing on the marketing aspect of MLEI. Keep making this platform a marketing pl- platform where we can showcase our technology. And because mm, the, the challenge these manufacturers now have is to sell electric cars. Still, electric cars are not massively adopted by the general public. So they need marketing. Mm. They need to convince the people to buy those cars. And that's a role that Formula E can play. And that's why they're all here. That's why all the manufacturers are here. They are not here because they want to win the fastest race in the world. Sadly, many manufacturers don't care about the fastest race in the world. They care about selling their cars. And before, they could do that with Formula One. Now they can do that or they can use the platform to do that with Formula E.
0: Because am I right in thinking that um for the first time you're gonna have Mercedes, Porsche, BMW and Audi all competing as manufacturers. That's never happened before, has it? Not. I mean that's that in itself is exciting and a huge achievement.
1: It is very exciting. And um yeah, the four Germans never the four big Germans never never raced against each other on, on one championship, the maximum was three of them. Um that's great, but I think that it's not to our credit. It's because the world is going in yeah. that direction. You know, uh, It's not that we have created a championship that is completely resistible. No, it's that we are the electric mm. car championship there. Mm. And these brands are doing huge investment in, in the electric manufacturing capability they have in their factories, they're changing them, <clears throat> they're preparing themselves, they're announcing 25... Different cars coming electric ne- in the next five years. Mm. So, that's a championship for them. So And, and uh, we have to keep it like that. And also, I think we learned a lot of lessons from the time when we were in Formula One mm. about how to keep the cost, the cost under control. Mm. So, there are two ways to get a huge return on your investment. You, get a, you make a big, big, big investment and you get a massive return on spectators and on everything. Or you make a reasonable investment, not so big, and you still get a decent viewership and so on. And at the end, the return on investment is the same. So we have to keep the cost low. And we have a few different lessons that we learned from when we were in Formula 1 that we are putting into practice here. And they work.
0: So how do you think things are going to go? Because um, it feels as if we are making a play in Formula 1 to be more relevant and to be... Uh, more environmentally friendly, you know, changing the engines, but that has been at the cost of noise and it's upset the purists and the, the real racing fans. Is there an argument to say, keep it old school, keep it as just a purely entertainment format that is has got no relevance to everyday lives and then use Formula E to be what takes us forward into the future?
1: Well, um, there is definitely a, a point for that. Um, I think... I think what should have, have happened is that Formula One should have owned Formula E from the beginning, mm. like the Moto GP has done with Moto E, but they didn't. Um,
0: and that was Bernie's choice, was it?
1: Yeah, I mean, not even his. Cho- I don't think he even even considered it. Right. I, I don't. I don't even think he thought about it. Um,
0: do you think if it had happened now, yeah, with the would, current owners, he, they would have said...
1: He, he said it the other day. He said, if I had to put my money somewhere now, I'd put it in from LA. So,
0: yeah. If Bernie said that. Bernie no, said okay. that, yeah. But with the current owners, do you think it would have been a different story Oh, definitely. Well? Yeah. Oh, the current
1: owners would have... Yeah. I know that. Yeah. I mean, you know.
0: That's, that's a shame then, isn't it? Surely that can change.
1: Well, it's, it's not a shame for me, but, <laughs> <laughs> but...
0: No, but what I mean is, is that, it, well, a collaborative approach may be better longer term, but maybe you'll be running the whole yeah. lot.
1: Well, I don't know about that, but but definitely it would have been different probably if the current owners would have been there at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the question of should Formula 1 stay on the you know, V8s or V10s and really push for it, I think going to this more sustainable uh, hybrid system hasn't made a difference. I think it would have been better to stay on the V8s or v- definitely stay on the V8s. Well, on
0: an environmental level, it's just symbolic. It hasn't See, actually no, it made a
1: difference. It would have made a difference if Formula E didn't exist. Right. But as Formula E exists, we already take it all because mm-hmm. we are greener. Because it doesn't matter if you're hybrid, if you have a full electric thing next to you. you. You can try to go, but then someone will always say, yeah, but you're not the full product because the full product is that one. Yeah. So then all the benefit you can get from saying I'm, I'm greener kind of disappears. So mm-hmm. people really don't
0: it's care. It's sort of paying lip service in a way. It's, it, doesn't, mm. it
1: doesn't really make a difference but it does make a difference to all those people me included who loved the V8 noise and the V8 performance um, so, and so you're
0: not keeping anyone happy
1: you're not and also the V8 cost because these engines now are incredibly um, mm. expensive of course some manufacturers will say yeah but we want to be this hybrid thing um, or you know it is not relevant or whatnot. But that's not true. They say that because they master the technology now mm. and they want to keep the advantage. They don't say it because they really believe in this hybrid thing. If they were uh, mastering or, or uh, the best on the VA technology, they would say we have to keep the VA technology because teams always and very legitimately only act on their own interest. Mm. So it really doesn't, doesn't make a difference.
0: Okay, so what's the answer?
1: <laughs> um,
0: he pauses to take a drink. <laughs> yeah. Buying him some time, some no, time to I mean, think. I would, I would
1: definitely go back to V8s if I was from the yeah. one. Yeah, I would. Yeah. Wouldn't that be considered
0: <laughs> a step backwards?
1: Yeah. Sometimes you have to accept you've made a mistake and just, you know, they say, beat the bullet. Yeah,
0: bite the bullet. Bite yeah. the bullet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess that would be very popular in, in some quarters. But do, do you feel... I mean, you're still a, a big F1 fan. Beat. and And it's still exciting and certainly... Last time out in Austria, we've seen Great that race. it was I mean, a fantastic race. So it's still the pinnacle of motorsport it, to an extent. I know that... I think
1: Formula 1 will always be the pinnacle of motorsport. Yeah. Because, you know, for me, the key is the history. History is incredibly important mm. for motorsport. And many people who love motorsport, me included, we love motorsport because everything that it represents from 1950, even from Grand Prix racing before Formula 1. But if you look at Formula 1, whoever wins Formula 1 is the successor of Fangio, He's the successor of Schumacher, He's the successor of Senna, He's the successor of Fittipaldi, of Prost, of Hamilton, mm-hmm. Hamilton is probably the successor of himself for a little bit still, that's greatness, that you cannot have in any other motorsport, you can do whatever you want, you can create anything you want, but you, you, you will never have that chain, so Formula One will always be the pinnacle of motorsport, but I think Formula One will become electric, it's just the way it will be.
0: Yeah, but you've just said it should go back to V8. So now saying it will go electric. So, so go
1: for the short term until it becomes electric. Yeah.
0: But how, how do you manage that?
1: I don't know. I mean, you know, it's not me to manage it for the <laughs> moment. I mean, so you
0: just. Uh, some people have said, suggested that you would oh. be good at the helm of running Formula One. Is it something that you've considered? Is that something? Are you going to give me a politician's answer?
1: No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm going to give you the real answer. Uh, of course, I would love to do that job, but I can't. And I can't, not for any specific reason, or because my wife doesn't let me or because I can't because of my contract. So my shareholders, when they came in and, and they invested in this company and so on and so on, they put as a condition that um, I have a non-compete. And my non-compete is with Formula One. Mm. So I cannot do Formula One.
0: So it's seen as direct competition, which is interesting. Again, goes back well, to what we were talking about before. Um, my shareholders
1: just didn't want me to... Sure.
0: I'd, I'd be You have that option. I mean, yeah.
1: I, I'm not saying I've been offered the job. I have not been offered the job also. So it's not a. I have not been offered the job. But even if I was offered the job, I could not take it because of my contract.
0: So you have now, um, you're in the process of leaving your role as CEO of Formula E to mm-hmm. become chairman. And you're going across to do an Extreme. Extreme. Okay, tell, tell us about that.
1: So Extreme is uh, the, the new project we have. And it's very exciting. I'm really excited about it. And I think I've done already my job in Formula E in a way, because, you know, we, my my last race as CEO will be New York. So I will have done five full seasons. When we started from E, we didn't even know if we were going to last one season. Mm-hmm. So five full seasons. And I think I leave my job as CEO. I'm not leaving Formula i I'm staying as chairman and I will have a lot of work as chairman. But as CEO and managing the day to day, I think I leave from E at its best moment mm-hmm. is when it's growing at its strongest pace. We have lots of great sponsors. We, you know, we have a great financial strength in the company. We have new teams coming next year. Mercedes and Porsche in uh, great drivers. I mean, you know, the fantastic cities. We have a big pipeline of cities that want to come in. So it's great to live when things are on, on, on a good way, no?
0: i right in thinking that actually it was touch and go a few times. It could have gone under, particularly in the first season.
1: We were almost under. We were really, really bad in the first season. After three races, we would run out of money and we spent a month like basically like zombies trying to survive and by you know last minute of the last minute like these things happened we got investment in and we basically saved the company and since then it was has been great but it was really really we went really close to the wire um, but you know it happens with many startups so you know you learn and you, it was an experience that you know it was horrible but now you remember it and you're like thank god it happened i would wake up Every morning, three AM, I would wake up and just see invoices, invoices, and where which one, which one I'm gonna pay, which one I'm gonna convince to wait, and stuff like that. But it was very close. But now it's great. So I'm stopping as CEO. We will uh, transition to chairman, and then I will start. I have started already. This new project called Extreme, e, which is basically a kind of evolution of the Dakar, the rallies, the off-road, and all that. And again, it creates a platform for teams and OEMs just to well first of all have fun because it's going to be an incredible super fun race uh, it's going to be a race a real race a real competition but also to showcase especially SUVs which is a category that's going to grow a lot uh, on the most extreme conditions so you can show that electric cars work well in in the ice in the rocks in the mountains in the deserts wherever and also you you go to these places where which are kind of challenged by climate change and, and you showcase what's going on. I mean, we have this place in the Arctic, for example, that we're going to race on these rocks and this sand that before used to be under the ice sheet. And now there's no ice sheet. And then you see the ice sheet behind the race. So you see all this w- huge wall of ice. It will look like Game of Thrones, you know, the wall, the ice wall that separates the north from the, where there all these crazy, how they call them? Dead, well, the dead live. Yeah. That's going to be what we're going to race basically. That's going to be one of the visuals. The other one is in the Himalayas. You, you have to go one of, the, one of these roads that is only open in May and June or something because it's frozen and snowing the rest of the time into this valley and you're surrounded by all the peaks of the Himalayas and you're in a valley that used to be a glacier and now it's only rocks. So you showcase all these things that are going on, which many people don't know about. Yeah. And because many people don't, you know, some people like to watch documentaries, but a lot of people look, like to watch races. More people like to watch races than watch documentaries. So we almost introduce the message into the race.
0: Yeah, so now you get both.
1: Now you get both in one, exactly. Okay. So that's the plan, yeah.
0: So when does this get up and running? When, when will so, we see this? And where will we see it?
1: So we, we will... Um, so we already uh, unveiled the ship. We have a ship that is going to go around the world with all these cars. There's going to be a floating paddock because, of course, you cannot go to the Arctic or to up the Amazon or something and find hotels or anything. So we have everything on the ship. And then um, we presented the car in Goodwood last uh, Friday, and it was really it's great. I hadn't seen the car before that. It's huge and it's so cool. The car. So that's going to be the base car. Then the manufacturers can do their own bodywork and motors and so on. And then first race is about 18 months away. So everything is everything is. I mean, 18 months sounds far, but it's not. So everything is in preparation. The batteries are being made and designed by Williams. The cars, the chassis are there. We're testing the car. I mean, everything is like we did with Formula E. Everything is in motion with this. So we're looking for the locations. First race should be around February. We haven't found the location for the first race yet. I want it to be linked to uh, plastic pollution. So it should be in some kind of coast, some kind of area or or an island that has a lot of plastic on it. Um, Now, plastic pollution is a huge problem. Um, and uh, we want to showcase that on, in a race and then probably we'll go to Himalayas then we'll race in the desert then we'll race we have this incredible location in the forest in the Amazon where the forest has all been cut and so there's no more forest uh, but the forest is just behind you so you race there and you see the forest in the end but then you show all these logs by the, in the floor and you know the ground so Some
0: really powerful images there yeah you know pushing a very strong message
1: yeah, exactly. Very powerful images but at the same time a, a really cool race. Mm-hmm. And the format is one against one, so you won't have the 12 cars racing at the okay. same time. You always have two cars or three cars, maybe it's a kind of rallycross concept and then you have kind of tennis concept or football like quarterfinals, semifinals and the final and the semifinals and finals are live on TV. So, yeah, so that's the concept.
0: And you done the TV deal yet? We, have, do
1: done, we have done, we have no no, we have a few TV yeah. deals on the on the in the oven. We announced one, so we have Fox in the US like formerly. Many of the Formula a broadcasters are really keen also on this. Mm. And some others, which are not From A broadcasters, that we've been surprised, really big broadcasters are very keen. So, yeah, we, we will do a TV deal with, uh, yeah, with everyone.
0: How important is the fact that racing is in your DNA to the fact that you can just push forward with these massive projects? Because it, it gives you automatic credibility with all the people you're dealing with, but also the passion, the desire to... Mm. To, to keep moving forward and those 3am wake up calls hopefully aren't always about invoices they're about ideas as well
1: <laughs> well I, I, for me it's the key to be racing I mean I consider myself a racing man I've been in the world of racing know, for 20 years now and um, I always say this could have been created by an environmentalist or by a racing man it was created by a racing man from LAE and um, I think the same with Extreme. Um and I think otherwise we would be this project would not be the same these are races. These are racing, and the people I talk to to create extreme now are I don't know, Carlos Sainz or my drivers in Formula E. Or you know, I get advice from these people. I don't get advice from you know. I mean, I actually do get advice too from scientists and people from climate change. But this is a race, mm. and then of course you, you you bring in, like I say, you use the race to spread the science message, which is really important.
0: Mm. And what about your background in politics? You say you've been in racing for a long no. time. But an MEP at 28, is that right?
1: Mm-hmm. That's- yeah, at the time I was the youngest MEP yeah, in the, in the European true. Parliament. It was, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was great. And it also gave me a great experience because politics is in everything. And especially in motor racing, there is so much politics. And having that background in politics maybe allows you to kind of move a little bit um, better on those kind of political discussions.
0: And you married into a formidable family on the politics front as well. Yes. So father-in-law, former prime minister of Spain, and mother-in-law, mayor former of mayor of Madrid. I mean, it's quite intimidating, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah, my father-in-law I was my boss at the time. So oh my God, you
0: married your boss's daughter. I,
1: I did, I did. That's why I resigned. <laughs> I didn't want my father-in-law to be my boss or my boss to be my father-in-law. That's a good point. So that's why, actually, that's why I'm in motorsport, because I, I, otherwise I would have probably continued my political career. But when I married my wife, I decided to stop politics, And look for something else. And I was friends with Flavio Briatore and uh, with Bernie uh, from before. And they said, let's do stuff together in racing. And that's how it started.
0: I can't imagine how interesting or animated your Sunday lunches must be at home. Do you all (laughs) talk about politics or do you leave it at the door? Because we have a bit of a rule at home. You can't talk about religion or politics. Otherwise, an argument breaks out.
1: We talk a lot about politics. But uh, it's because my kids love politics. So I have four boys, and especially the, yeah, they all love it. But the the oldest is 15 now. He's really into politics. The 13 year old is also into politics, and yeah. So we talk a lot, a lot about politics. But we are all kind of pretty like minded. So the discussions are all mostly against people that are not around the table.
0: That, that's healthy. Good. Uh, is it? Do they love politics because they want to change the world? Are they looking at their dad as doing pretty cool things? out there and making a difference why are they so into it because it's pretty young to be Yeah. Um, as interested as they I are I think they love
1: politics more because of his grandfather because they don't see me at all as a politician they've never seen me as a politician so they kind of know that I was in politics eventually but they never see me as a politician they see me as a businessman my kids um, some want to be businessman but some mainly the others uh has a very close relationship with his grandfather, the one that was Prime Minister. Yeah. So that's where they get the kind of admiration for politics. And yeah, they want to change the world. Of course everyone, when they're fifteen, they want to change the world. I am forty eight, I still want to change the world. So.
0: so what do you want your legacy to be? That you have made a difference with climate change? You've made a I mean, yeah. you've changed the landscape of, of racing. What is that?
1: I mean of course you have to be kind of modest and <laughs> you know
0: Oh, cautious, but you but have ambition and you can, you
1: know, dreams. Yeah, I mean, if, I, if I could say that my legacy is that I, that I made a contribution that there are more electric cars in the world, that would be great because that's a good legacy. And then that has a kind of knock-on effect on CO2 emissions, even better, or less city pollution, even better. So, yeah, so that's kind of... I would love to have that legacy, yeah.
0: So... um the, the extreme series that it, it you're launching now, is that just another stepping stone in that direction? Are yep. they going to be more of the same? Yep. At what point will you say, OK, I've, I've done my bit now, I've made a difference, I can exit this?
1: Well, the thing is because I have so much fun doing it and I'm actually doing well with it, I'm not really thinking of stopping anytime soon. Um, but uh, it is another step in the same direction. So extreme has exactly the same ultimate purpose as Formula E, which is to promote electric cars. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a good thing. And if you go around the office here in Formley, everyone really feels so motivated because of that. Because they think they're working for some kind of purpose. Yeah. And I think now it, it, business and doing any company or building any company it's a lot easier when you have a purpose behind. Mm-hmm. A good purpose behind. Because now people are not, their only goal is not just to make money. People want to have something else. People mm-hmm. want to have something that means something positive. And if you you work for a company where, of course, you make a salary or you make um, a good living or something, but on top of it, you have a good purpose in that company, people work a lot happier. Mm.
0: Yeah, because you mentioned the word fun there, and that is something that, from the outside looking in, I definitely associate with Formula E. Mm. You seem to have these great parties actually talking to a lot of the drivers that have gone from Formula One to Formula E. They say, the parties are insane. I guess it's the kind of Red Bull effect, isn't it, of bringing a shot in the arm for the sport, but also still being taken seriously enough to know that racing is at the essence of this. Do you think that there's ever a risk, particularly with things like fan boost and attack mode, that it can be seen as a bit gimmicky? Or do you think that it's important to make it feel more inclusive and more accessible, more relevant, better for gamers, that kind of thing?
1: I think think we have a... Something obviously good and bad. We I would love to have the history of Formula One and the tradition and so on, mm-hmm. and I don't have it, which is bad. I would love to have it um, in Formula E, but we are free to do anything because we're so young and so new. Mm-hmm. Um, we can introduce those kind of things, which are gimmicks, uh, but we can afford to be gimmicky because we're that's what that's in our DNA. That's Formula E. Formula E is new. It's electric. It's different. It's in the city. It's kind of disruptive. So it doesn't matter that much if we do this fan boosting or if we do the attack mode, which actually is really working great for the races. I wouldn't be surprised if all the racing categories take attack mode mm-hmm. um, because it has a link, direct link with technology also and makes racing very interesting. But if we were Formula 1, probably we could not do all these things because then it, right. would, be, it would be going one step too far.
0: Yeah, but it's interesting you say that because actually I think... It's a kind of trial process a bit with all these things, isn't it? Because when they said they were going to give the extra point for fastest lap, I was like, nah, that's stupid. But look how it's played out. It's actually worked really well. And everybody pushes. Yeah. Okay.
1: Well done. (laughs)
0: Plagiarism's best form of flattery. Yeah. Um, uh, Sorry, I interrupted.
1: No, 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 no. The thing is, once they've been tested in Formula E, these things then can be adopted in Mm. Formula 1, for example. Mm. But I think Formula E has the luxury to be able to be kind of a test ground for any kind of crazy idea. And we've made that on purpose.
0: And also, you don't necessarily have such a judgmental audience that you're always trying to please. And when someone's always moaning, and that's, that's one why, that's why because we of the legacy. Can do those things yeah. exactly.
1: We don't have yeah. this audience that is out there and that gets really offended mm. if there's something that changes or something. Mm. And then also, we love to party. So the whole team here <laughs> likes it very much. I like it very much. And I think that's really part of Formula e. The the kind of fun atmosphere, and relaxed atmosphere, and inclusive atmosphere, mm. and and all that, and uh, yeah, parties have been a big part of it, yeah.
0: Yeah, because you always seem to have big faces at the at the races, and that is clearly a, a ploy to get you on the front pages, not just the back of the newspapers, and it works, it gets it talked about, um, but does it in any way kind of trivialise it a little bit, do you think?
1: No, I think uh, glamour and show business and so on are really a very important part of the entertainment side of it and the marketing side of it. Um, and like I say, we have no... We are not afraid of this trivialization or anything like that because when you have a real race going on, all this falls away, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you don't have a real race going on, then you have to really worry about, you know, those things. But we have a great race going on. Seven different, eight different winners. I don't know how many winners in this season. Uh, for races, very competitive races. So, no, then then we're fine.
0: Um, And you touched on it before, just about F1 being the pinnacle in terms of racing and the best drivers in the world, that some argue that, well, you know, Formula E is like the retirement plan for Formula 1 drivers. It's where you go if you can't get into F1. But actually, um, you could look at someone like Alex Albon this year, who could easily have been racing in Formula E and is actually really punching above his weight already in Formula 1. So, do you think... I mean, how, how, would, how would you rate the sort of standard of driving talent across the two series?
1: I think about about maybe six or eight of the Formula One drivers are the best in the world. Um, and then the rest and the Formula E drivers are next. So, so I would say every driver gets paid in Formula E. That's not the case in Formula One. Mm. Um, but the top eight drivers in Formula One are probably the best in the world. So, those eight drivers of the 40 drivers between Formula One and Formula One are the top eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rest is equal.
0: And they're interchangeable almost. And they're
1: fully interchangeable. Mm. If 15 of the Formula a drivers had budget, those 15 could be in Formula One. Mm. It's just a question of budget. Um, but the top eight, top six, top eight in Formula One are probably the best drivers in the world. Um, and it is what it is I mean you, you cannot um, you know confront reality um, having said that we have a great 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 um, you know lineup of drivers and I, I love it when uh, a, an experienced driver from Formula 1 comes to Formula e, like Felipe for example yeah. um, and then we have other young guys that come you know uh, Felix Rosenquist came to Formula E and then now it's in uh, Indy mm. with uh, Ganassi we're one of the top teams so you know we have, we have incredible talent in Lay.
0: One question that I ask all my guests is what keeps you awake at night? Now, back in 2011, that was in Voices. But what about now? Is it, is it ideas? Is it pressure?
1: No, nothing keeps me awake at night. I must <laughs> say, no, nothing. I, was, I sleep really well and nothing, nothing, nothing keeps me awake at night. I mean, you know, maybe when my kids go out now, if they're late or something, that keeps me a little bit awake at night. But now also they don't drive, which is good. Um, no one drives now. Uh,
0: I mean, that's crazy in itself, isn't it? Yeah. So I look at my kids who are three and four, and they probably will never take a driving test. Oh, that's Most likely
1: not. My kids are not stressed at all about taking. I mean, the oldest is fifteen; he's not driving yet, but you know, he has Uber, and he just... And as a parent, you feel a lot better because my parents were very scared yeah. of road accidents. They were not scared that I would like bang my head on the stairs of a nightclub. They would be scared that I would be drunk and driving back home and crash my car and, you know, have a a very serious accident. That doesn't, is not in the equation anymore.
0: How is my daughter going to be the first Formula One world champion female if she doesn't get a driving license?
1: That's uh, that's very interesting. I think because no one else will, she will do karting and she will be the best of all the people that don't drive.
0: Uh, And if you've retired from all of this, will you manage her?
1: Yeah, for sure. If he's your daughter, 100%. Done.
0: Alejandro, thank you so much for your time. It's been great to talk.
1: Very welcome. Good to see you.